Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. In March 2018, Palestinians began the Great March of Return, weekly protests against the brutal Israeli siege. The Israeli government responded with savagery, killing more than 200 Palestinians and wounding thousands more. Well, a new documentary tells the story of the Great March of Return. It's called Gaza Fights for Freedom. And that is a clip from Gaza Fights for Freedom. I'm joined now by the film's directors, Abby Martin and Mike Preisner. Great to have you here on Pushback. Thank Great to be here. This film was infuriating. It's sad. Um, and it's also inspiring to see what Palestinians, how brave they were in going out in the face of Israeli fire every single week to protest for their rights. The footage you have is also just stunning. Talk about, first of all, how this film came about. Sure, Mike Preisner and I, who, who co-direct and produce The Empire Files as well, which was a weekly investigative series looking at issues through the lens of US empire. Um, we were in the West Bank in 2017. We tried to get into Gaza. We had all the proper press credentials, filled out all the right paperwork, and we were outright denied by the Israeli press office um, on the premise that we were propagandists and not journalists, and also levying the charge that I was an uh, Iranian agent. I'm used to being called a Russian agent, so that was news to me. Um, fast forward a year later, when the Great March of Return sparked off, and I had um, a Skype session with about 30 journalists on the ground in Gaza, and they were asking me, you know, how is the Western media covering the Great March? As you know, Aaron, it's, it's abysmal, horrific, uh, the obfuscation and, and outright censorship of this event that's ongoing for the last year and a half. And so we talked about how we can collaborate to amplify this story, to do this story justice. So I directed these interviews with the victims, of course, medics, press, um, scores of civilians. And once we got that footage, uh, it was so cinematically brilliant that we knew that we couldn't just do an Empire Files episode. We had to do a full fe feature length documentary. And that's what we did for the last year. And Mike, how did the filming process go about? How did you collaborate with the filmmakers on the ground? And how did they get such just amazing scenes from what happened? I mean, it's one of those things you kind of have to see to understand, right? I mean, that, as you were saying, it's like the, we were blown away when we saw it. We were expecting just kind of raw news protest footage, the kind of things that you could look up on AP or something. Um, but the cinematographers that we worked with, these guys are journalists, you know, shot on like steady cams and slow motion. I mean, so not, and they're on the front lines of the demonstrations. It wasn't from hundreds of meters away. It was, they were with the people that were getting shot like next to them. Um, and so the kind of cinematic brilliance of it is just people who had this incredible artistic talent, which is one of the tragedies of the film in a way also, is that there are so many talented videographers and journalists in Gaza covering the Great March, no one's buying their footage, no one's using it. I mean, it gets a little news bulletin here and there, we'll use 10 seconds of someone getting carried away on a stretcher, but the kind of this, this uh, huge library of incredible, beautiful, beautifully shot, uh, incredibly talented work just is, is, is hidden from the, from the public. And so when we worked with them, there was just this wealth of stuff to choose from because no one else was using it. And so if this is how hidden the story is, they're going out there every day to risk their lives and then it's just, you know, it's empty in terms of who's, who's actually using the content. 
Abby, give us a sense of just how heroic this struggle was. I mean, for years there's been talk um, among some Western pundits about where's the Palestinian Gandhi? Although, meanwhile, in real life, Palestinians have been struggling for their rights um, for decades now, uh, all of which has gotten ignored. But here you have this organized attempt to go, uh, this nonviolent march, everything that Palestinians are supposed to be doing in the eyes of the West, and they do it, and they get met with such brutality by Israel. Give us as a, a, a sense of that and how you show it in the film. I'm glad that you mentioned that because Ahmed Abu Artema, the lead organizer of the march, 34-year-old activist and poet, um, he says just that. He says people ask all the time, where's the Palestinian Gandhi? He said 200 of them have been shot mercilessly by Israeli snipers. So they're there. Shot dead. Shot dead, exactly. And thousands more wounded, as you mentioned. Um, the heroism is unmatched, I think, anywhere in the world. The fact that you can go out there so courageously knowing that you are risking your life to just make a symbolic action. I mean, hang a flag at, the, at this militarized partition fence. I mean, not a border, of course. This is a, this is a militarized fence that's partitioning Gazans from the lands that they were ethnically cleansed from. So Ahmed clearly explains in tweets that kind of sparked off this whole movement, Aaron, um, back in you know January and February of 2018 before the Great March, he says, what would happen if we peacefully crossed the fence, pitched tents akin to Occupy Wall Street in the empty land right across the desert to call attention to our struggle as refugees 70 years later? It was always meant to be a symbolic action. Um, so it kind of just demolishes this whole myth that, you know, there's this impending massacre that Hamas wants to destroy Israel. It was organized by activists, um, non, you know, n people completely unaffiliated with, with any political parties. Every stripe of Palestinian society were involved in this. And the heroism that you mentioned is just seen in this documentary. I mean, 12 hours of footage that we looked through, kind of this rite of passage of going out there and throwing a rock. That's not threatening anyone. You know, as we know, only four Israeli soldiers even claimed scratches from thrown rocks and maybe cited property damage. Meanwhile, you know, the Gazans are just being mercilessly gunned down. Um, but, but the heroism is so incredible. I mean, they go out there and throw rock knowing that that could be a death sentence right there. And it's something that really embodies courage. And it's something that these Western pundits and vile smear merchants will never understand because they don't know what courage is. Yeah, and that's, you know, kind of the Israeli narrative is that, you know, we're only shooting at people actively engaged in violence. That's the excuse they use for killing 200 on our, on our protesters. Uh, but something we found in our footage, well, uh, there are several people who are killed for throwing rocks, which is still a war crime. You, know, you can say it's actively engaged in violence to throw a rock with a slingshot at a fortified bunker or armored tank, you know, which does absolutely nothing. It's obviously a completely symbolic action. It's still a war crime to shoot someone for throwing a rock. But what we found in our investigation, corroborated by the UN, corroborated by all this exclusive video evidence that we have, the vast majority of people who were killed in the Great March were not throwing rocks. They were not cutting through the border fence. They were hundreds of meters for the border fence doing things like smoking a cigarette, talking on their cell phone, filming the demonstration, providing medical aid, waving a flag. I mean, these are the types of actions that were deemed uh, punishable by death by the Israeli snipers and really uh, their commanders. This wasn't just a few rogue uh, young sniper individuals. This was like coming through the chain of command. Okay, now we're going to start killing medics, kill a bunch of medics. I mean, so this is kind of the calculation uh, of the force used against the Great March protesters. Mm -hmm. One of the slain victims who you profile in speaking to her, her loved ones is Razan Al-Najjar. Talk about her. Right, she's a young, uh, she was a young feminist. She was the first female to actually go out there as a volunteer paramedic. And since then, she's inspired countless women out there who are on the front lines of these protests. Um, the New York Times profiled her 
a week before she was gunned down by Israeli snipers. And, and she talks about this. She says, you know, without weapons, we can do anything. She says, if men don't want us out here, we're going to change that. We're going to change society. I mean, just an incredible hero. Um, a week later, after that New York Times profile, she was slaughtered. And uh, we have exclusive video footage of her, you know, going toward the fence, arms raised. Uh, Israeli snipers fire warning shots at her feet, saying, "We're going to shoot you if you don't back off." And 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 they did anyway. She retreats hundreds of yards back from the fence, and they still, um, you know, not only shot gas and unidentified toxic gas that renders you unconscious, but once she was rendered conscious again, that's when they shot her and her colleague Rami. Um, and unfortunately, she, she passed away that day. But Aaron, the most tragic part of all is there was no atonement and no apologies from the Israeli government for this. After international outcry over her death, they released a video, a propaganda video actually slandering her and calling her a human shield, maliciously editing this video that she did with Turkish media where she says, I'm a human shield on the front lines to save the wounded and injured. And they cut it right when she says, I'm a human shield. And they said, paramedics are used as human shields by Hamas. And the New York Times followed up with this true crime investigation where they interviewed her family. They interviewed her colleagues, Rami and Rasha, for about 30 seconds to a minute. And then they gave carte blanche to an Israeli general, basically explaining away why she had to die. Yeah, you know, Mike, one of the most um, maddening parts for me is seeing how the, the media propaganda war plays out. And to see how, you know, on top of what Israel and its spokespeople say, the, even what Western pundits say about Palestinians, about how all this being a front for Hamas and an attempt to attack Israel and endanger its, secu its security. I wonder if you have any thoughts on that, just the contrast between the ways Western pundits speak about these brave people right. uh, and, and the reality on the ground. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we've been through several Gaza wars, right, where, where we could call them wars, massacres, where, you know, 2008, 2012, 2014, where Israel mercilessly bombed civilian targets in Gaza in one two-month period, killing, you know, close to 2,500 civilians, over 500 of which were children, pretty much all of them non-combatants. Um, but in all of those wars where there is, you know, and on those side of those, there's almost zero civilian casualties on the Israeli side of, uh, of these so-called wars. Um, but in all of those cases, the Western media was able to couch this in, well, the, they're shooting back at, they're defending themselves against Hamas rockets, and then civilians are dying because Hamas is shooting rockets from where there are civilians, right? And so it never was really addressed in the public consciousness because people would just say, oh, well, it's confusing. They're shooting rockets. They're shooting back. Civilians are dying, da 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 And so it was always painted, and, and the Western media, political pundits, all the mainstream news channels would say, well, they're, they're shooting back, which is protected by international law to defend yourself if Israel's attacking you. That's, that's completely justified. Um, but the Great March, something different happened, where there was no militants. There was no use of rockets. There was no use of explosives. There's no use of rifles. It was just a completely 100% peaceful action where still massive numbers of civilians are being killed uh, and there's no Israelis that were being injured or, or killed either. But they used the same talking points. Mm -hmm. They used the same talking points as they did during all of those Gaza wars saying it's just human shields for Hamas. Well, shielding what? They're a human shield for what? No one's shooting a rocket behind them? No one's shooting a rifle behind them? So it's interesting to see with this that they did everything, as you said in the beginning, that they've been told to do. Lay down your weapons, do everything totally peacefully, and ask for your rights in a totally peaceful way. They did that. They were still killed for it. And then the Western media and media pundits still go out and use the same exact talking points they were using uh, when they were being massacred by bombs just years earlier. And, and also just the, the slick Hasbro operation. We try to show both sides in the documentary, Aaron, because a, you know, a lot of people say, oh, where's the other side? You know, the Israeli side of the story. We did show that. And it's a slick Israeli propaganda arm.
um, funded with tens of millions of dollars every year to control the narrative, to correct the record. And that is people who look like me and Mike and who speak English. And they're talking to an American audience. And they're using the most embarrassing propaganda points that everyone's a human shield, that no one has, um, no one has independent thought you know, and just demonizing 2.2 million people. I mean, this is a war against children. We have to keep in mind that half of these people living in Gaza are kids. And to have Barry Weiss, you know, people like that, and Bill Maher, who claim that they're liberal, going out there and say they planned this to be massacred, Israeli officials actually having the audacity to call it self-genocide, that they want telegenically dead Palestinians to be piled up on television, is absolutely atrocious that this is being believed in 2019. Right, you know, like something like 35 or more children were killed by Israeli snipers. I mean, small children who were looked at through a sniper scope, clearly see they're a child, unarmed, and were shot and killed by Israeli snipers. The only defense after that is that, well, they wanted them to die. <laughs> the kids wanted to die and their parents sent them intentionally to be killed because then they can say, oh my God, war crimes are being committed against us. That's the only defense that they have. Of course, that's not true. And it's such a sick and racist thing to say that a, a people would intentionally kill their children just for some, for not even getting a media story about it. Um, but even if that was true, let's say for example, they did do that, you still can't shoot a child. And it's still a crime to shoot a little child who's unarmed, you know what I mean? It's like even if they fell for this trap by Hamas of shooting this child, it's still, still illegal and still, still needs to be accountability in international courts for it. Yeah, and, you know, this, the violations of international law that you showcase, I mean, killing civilians, kill, killing children, uh, infringing on people with severe disabilities that Israel has caused. Talk about that. Mm -hmm. Right, and we show some famous cases. Abu Salmi's um, legs were amputated in an airstrike in, in, I think, 2014, and he was gunned down. He was, he was uh, directly targeted in the torso and, and killed outright by Israeli snipers. So that was a famous case of a disabled civilian. Many others were on crutches from previous uh, clashes with Israeli forces, so injured from Israeli forces in the past and then also gunned down by snipers, which of course is a violation of international law. And Aaron, you mentioned the construction of international law is really the premise of our documentary because it proves with exclusive evidence incontrovertible war crimes being committed. And this is not only the direct targeting of children, disabled press and medics, this is also the use of exploding bullets which are a violation of, of the Hague Convention over a century ago. This is also the violation of the Chemical Weapons Convention. I mean, the use of unidentified toxic gas that renders you unconscious, that Israeli officials are using basically to have battle-tested weapons that they can then go to weapons expos and say, yeah, we're testing these weapons on a caged population, and then just brag to other weapons contractors to buy them. So. It's war crimes after war crimes after war crimes. And what we try to prove is that everything Palestinians are doing is within the confines of international law, justified and necessary. And everything that Israelis are doing, the Israeli government rather, um, is, is illegal and criminal. And doing all this with American support. One of the things you point out in the film is the American tie when it comes to the weapons that are being used against the people of Gaza. Well, the only reason that Israel is able to do this is with the U.S. military backing, you know, $10 million a day of our tax dollars funding these atrocities. Um, but not only that, but the political protection, the political shield that the U.S. empire gives to Israel. I mean, the UN, U United States has veto power at the U.N. Security Council. I Israel would be held accountable for their crimes in international courts were it not for the supreme military power of the United States protecting them um, because Israel serves a very strategic uh, purpose for U.S. hegemony in the world. I mean, this is, it's this attack 
lapdog in the region that's very important for U.S. capitalism to control. You know, the, the pivot of the modern industrial economy, that where most of the oil is in the world. And so, you know, the U.S. funds Israel for the same reason it invaded Iraq in 2003. It's about regional hegemony. And so because Israel serves such an important geostrategic role for the U.S. empire, it's completely shielded from accountability on an international level. Let's talk about Hamas for a second. Uh, the, <clears throat> they are still in charge of the Gaza Strip. I don't like talking about Hamas that much because I, I think that the question of Hamas and their tactics is pretty secondary. The fact is that they are resisting an occupation that's illegal and the only obligation here is on the occupiers to end the occupation. But addressing some of the talking points that are used, they say that Hamas has this charter that calls for Israel's destruction. You actually address this in the film. Right, so, so that old charter was written by one guy, uh, you know, over 10 years ago. Their new charter is actually- During, the, during the first intifada, right. when they're resisting right. Israeli occupation yes. Yes. That, it, that has been occupying them and humiliating them yeah. for years. And it's been misinterpreted, of course, just like Ahmadinejad's comments are misinterpreted. I mean, so you can go on all day about that, but their new charter is what matters today. And their new charter not only rejects anti-Semitism and also kind of stands with progressive Jewish organizations worldwide, which, you know, basically differentiates Zionism from from Judaism. Um, but they also clearly distinguish that a national consensus among Palestinian society is the two-state solution with the pre-military occupation lines of 1967 um, to be a formula of national consensus. And I think that's really important, even though we support a one-state solution, and I know that a lot of Palestinians do, it shows that they're willing to negotiate. And it shows you that you know when compared to what the Israeli ruling authority, what the Israeli um, ruling coalition says, that they are not accepting a Palestinian state, that they have dismissed that idea and kind of laughed it off for decades. Um, and so when you, when you compare the two, again, the propaganda kind of becomes deconstructed and you're like, wait a minute, Hamas is willing to negotiate this and Israelis are not. Right, if Israel's justification for committing these crimes is, well, they don't recognize Israel's right to exist, they explicitly don't recognize Palestine's right to exist and Gaza's right to exist, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, but then, but another thing we try to point out in the film also is that part of the Israeli propaganda is to paint all of Gaza as Hamas and a caricature of Hamas that wants to kill all Jewish people, you know, murder all Israelis and take over the entire country um, and not live peacefully together side by side. Um, but, but what we try to show is that Gaza's like any other place. It's like America, it's like any other country you go to. There there's a variety of political opinions. There's people who are to the right of Hamas, there's people to the left of Hamas, there's quite vibrant political movements and organizations. There is a pretty vibrant socialist movement in Gaza and socialist organizations and socialist militants. And so these are all just different facts. It's a, it's a political mosaic, just like you would expect any place to be and to try to define, and that's what Israel has used as a justification to kill any civilian and to maintain this blockade that is torturing every civilian is, well, they're all Hamas. Well, you can't look at any, could you say that the United States is all Trump people because yeah. Trump president? Absolutely not. Uh, and that we can justify, you know, killing and starving all of us because of, of uh, what a portion of the population elected as the president. So we try to kind of give that there's a political complexity to, to Gaza. Um, but, but bottom line is they have the right to self-determination. You can't have self, true self-determination when you're under the boot of a colonial power like Israel. Yeah, and, and the preventive infiltration law that was passed in 1954 basically employed a shoot to kill order for quote-unquote infiltrators, refugees trying to return. And we know that they just deported them in mass to Gaza after the Nakba. And so it's just interesting that they're using the same justification, but they've just changed infiltrators to now terrorists. And we know from WikiLeaks cables that, you know, Israel meddled in those elections and basically wanted Hamas to win. So then they can justify all the atrocities by blanketing the entire Gaza Strip as a hostile territory. It's a really cynical game because 
you have, Palestine, you have Hamas winning Palestinian elections in 2005, 2006, after more than a decade of the so-called peace process where life for Gazans gets worse. It's basically a, a process by which Israel extends its control over the Palestinian territories by uh, enlisting subcontractors in the Palestinian Authority. So that gets rejected, Hamas comes in, and then Israel and the U.S. try to overthrow Hamas and prevent them from taking power. And when that, when that, when that happens, people are going to resist. And so people are going to unite behind the leaders of yours that the colonial government is trying to undermine. Um, Abby, you closed the film with a call to uh, citizens of the West, talking about the Palestinians have done what they've been told to do by the West and going out and bravely being nonviolent. And you ask the question, is their heroism going to be for naught? Or are people in the West going to respond uh, with, by following their lead and standing up to the Israel occupation? Because as you also point out, Without U.S. government support for Israel and what, it, and what it's doing in Gaza, it could not happen. So what is your sense of that? Do you think that the people of the West will see what's happening in Gaza, will see what's being done to, the, to civilians in Gaza in the name of the U.S. and with U.S. taxpayer support? And, and do you think that there can be a large enough movement here that could, that could reverse what is happening in Gaza and stop the uh, inhumane blockade? There absolutely has to be, Aaron, because international pressure needs to be mounted, and it has to start here. This is the heart of the empire, the belly of the beast. Um, this is who is basically absolving Israel and allowing these atrocities to happen with our taxpayer dollars. Um, the fact that BDS is a call to action that Palestinians have told us to do. The fact that unanimous BDS resolutions are being passed all over the world, Ireland, Britain. Um, it's scaring the hell out of the Israeli government, which is why they've passed 26 anti-BDS resolutions here in the US across the country. Um, that shows you how terrified they are. That is the only thing that will bring down apartheid because we see polls reflected in Israeli society as it's becoming increasingly fascistic with this latest election between Trump and Trump. Um, it's a facade. Five million Palestinians are denied the right to vote. That is not a democracy. Um, so the only thing that will bring the fall of apartheid is mounting international pressure and isolation, political, um, cultural isolation. And we're seeing it. Artists dropping like flies out of the meteor festival. Um, liaisons, former liaisons for the Israeli government denying, saying, I can't be a part of this anymore. The only person that they have is Roseanne Barr <laughs> to be their spokesperson. So, so I think it's beautiful what's happening. And the fact that Americans are finally waking up, political consciousness is on the rise. We're seeing just with this tour, sold out venues all across the country, marquees in right-wing cities, no protests, no disruptions. People are ready to hear it, Aaron. And the Hasbro is not working anymore. They cannot control the narrative when we are seeing these atrocities with our own eyes and when Palestinians are filming their reality with their own equipment. And we're seeing that and we're taking it and people are finally waking up to what their government is doing in their names. And it's our privilege we need to wake up and use our extraordinary privilege as American citizens to fight this government. And it doesn't just stop and, and start with Palestine. It goes all over the world. This is what our government is doing all over the world in our name. And it's time to stand up and say no more. The film is called Gaza Fights for Freedom. Abby Martin and Mike Preisner are touring with it right now. So see it if it comes to your town. You also can catch it online at Vimeo, right? Yes. Gaza, Gaza for Freedom. Freedom. Yeah. Abby Martin, Mike Preisner, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Aaron.